Hello, and welcome to the Voice of Democracy podcast. I am Bruce Carter. In this podcast, you will hear intriguing, thoughtful interviews, as well as actionable tips and strategies that can be implemented either in your institution, health and wellness, and education. Our podcast is not about name recognition or being famous. Everyone has untapped potential. And today's fast-changing landscape demands nation leaders who can quickly adapt, build trust, and deliver value. Through people and technology, we're listening and providing insight on tough political and business challenges, including talent, transformation, and geopolitical conflicts, pandemics, and social injustice. In this podcast series, the Voice of Democracy offers insights to help you tackle today's challenges and prepare for tomorrow. Through social change, we will be the Voice of Democracy, American Promise, Global Mission. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now, let's jump into your daily dose of Voice of Democracy. Today's highlight, we're going to focus on Supreme Court term limits. It is time to reform the Supreme Court. Today's Supreme Court has assumed a degree of power and importance that will have been unrecognizable in finding error. A recent cascade of ethics scandals has laid bare a system in which justice manipulated tremendous powers for decades with little accountability. While the court's rulings are increasingly insecure or confused from democratic value and the principles of judicial restraint, at the same time, polarization among the political parties and the justice themselves has dramatically increased the partisan stakes of the confirmation process, leading to a broken system. Public trust in the court is at historical low. Article 3 of the Constitution of the United States guarantees that every person accused of wrongdoing has a right to a fair trial before a competent judge in a jury of one's peers. Where the executive and legislative branch are elected by the people, members of the judicial branch are appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. Also under Article 3 of the Constitution, which establishes that the judicial branch leaves Congress significant discretion to determine the shape and structure of the federal judiciary. Even the number of Supreme Court justices is left to Congress. At times, there have been as few as six, while the current number is nine, with one chief justice and eight associate justice, has only been in place since 1869. The Constitution also grants Congress the power to establish courts inferior to the Supreme Court. And to that end, Congress has established United States District Courts, which try most federal cases, and 13 United States Courts of Appeals, which review appeal district court cases. All justices are nominated by the president, confirmed by the Senate, and hold their office under life tenure. Since justices do not have to run or campaign for re-election, they are thought to be insulated from political pressure when deciding cases. Justice remain in office until they resign, pass away, or impeach and or convicted by Congress. So now let's get started. The case of reform is compelling. On average, justices today sit on the bench for more than a decade or longer than their predecessors did as recently as the 1960s. 
Seven justices now on the court are likely to hold office over as many as nine presidential terms, unbound by tenure allows. A single justice to shape the direction of the law of for generations without regard of the evolving views and composition of the electorate. It put justices in the elite and unaccountable, unaccountable bubble for decades. No other major democracy in the world provides life tenure to high courts judges who hear constitutional cases. With today's intense ideological polarization, even Supreme Court vacancies also take takes on momentum stakes. Exercise of raw power have replaced long-established constitutional norms, unpending the confirmation process. This constitutional hardball was illustrated most notoriously when Republican senators refused to consider President Barack Obama's March 2016 nomination of Merrick Garland, claiming that it was too close to the presidential election, only to rush through a vote for Amy Comey Barrett in October 2020, when early voting in that year's presidential election had already started. One result of these dynamics has been that presidents have had starkly desperate imprints on the court. President Donald, Trump, President Donald Trump appointed three justices in four terms, whereas President Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama each appointed two justices in eight years. This wide variation, as well as its impact on the development of American law, is impossible to square with principles of democratic legitimacy. By contrast, with 18-year active terms and regularized appointments, every president would have an equal imprint on the court during a four-year term. Such a system would enhance the democratic link between the court and the public, making the institution more reflective of changing public values while serving judicial independence. This reform would also encourage a better functioning and less political charge confirmation process. Shorter terms will lower the stakes of each nomination, while regularized appointments would both encourage compromise and allow for public accountability in the event of confirmation impasses. Regularized appointments would also eliminate the, the, the um, destabilizing impact of late-term vacancies because an unexpected death or retirement would not create a new seat to fill. Instead, a senior justice would temporarily step in, and this reform would ensure that no individual holds largely unchecked power for decades at a time. Broad swaths of American support, term limits for justice. Since 2022, several polls have found that more than two-thirds of the public are in favor or of this reform, including more than three-quarters of the Democrats, two-thirds of independents, and more than half of Republicans. This bipartisan support is long-standing since at least 2014. Polls have consistently shown supermajority support for term limits. A broad array of scholars likewise support term limits. When the National Constitution Center convened separate groups of conservative and progressive scholars in 2020, a draft, their ideal of a constitution both proposed 18-year terms. The Presidential Commission of the Supreme Court, which was created by President Joe Biden to evaluate options for the Supreme Court reform, described term limits as enjoying 
considerable bipartisan support. The Constitution gives Congress wide latitude to determine the Supreme Court's structure and responsibilities. Congress should use its power now to reform the Supreme Court. Let's look at increasingly unaccountable court. In Federalist 78, Alexander Hamilton famously described the Supreme Court as the last dangerous branch of government. At the time, it was an accurate description. In the first decade, the Supreme Court heard an average of just six cases per year. The first Chief Justice, John Ray, stayed on the bench for only five years and declined to be renominated after serving as a governor of New York because he said the court lacked energy, weight, and dignity. In 1803, Chief Justice John Marshall asserted the power of the judicial review in Marbury versus Madison, which was a landmark U.S. Supreme Court case that established the principle of judicial review of the United States, meaning that American courts have no have the power to strike down laws and statutes they find to violate the Constitution of the United States. Yet, the Supreme Court did not strike down another federal law as unconstitutional more than 50 years when 1857 and Dred Scott v. Stanford was a landmark U.S. Supreme Court case where it notoriously barred Congress from freeing slaves with federal territories. And most recently, in 2022, U.S. Supreme Court overturned 1973 Roe v. Wade was a landmark decision of the U.S. Supreme Court in which the court ruled that the Constitution of the United States generally protected the right to have an abortion. So we know now, but times have changed. As the size, scope, and power of the federal government expanded, first with the post-Civil War Reconstruction Amendments, and then again in the 20th century with the rise of the administrative state and the Civil Rights Movement. So, so too did the Supreme Court power and national importance. This has altered the incentives of justice to stay in office and the incentives of presidents and senators in the confirmation process. And it has encouraged in political branches to cast aside governing norms to, to secure seats of the court, particularly on both the court and the political parties have grown increasingly polarized. Together, these trends led to a dysfunctional system so now let's, when we look at the excessive terms, this is what we mean. Modern justice are serving usually long terms. For the first 180 years of U.S. history, justices served an average of approximately 15 years. But in the 1970s, the average tenure began to balloon. In recent years, justices have served an average of 26 years, equivalent to six and a half presidential terms. Justice appointed at around the age of 50, which includes a supermajority of justices on this court today, could serve as long as 35 years. In the future, justices are likely to serve even longer as an average age retirement continues to climb while the average age of appointees keeps declining. These lengthy terms mean justices have a substantial greater imprint on the court and the country than their predecessors. At the same time, the elected branches and the people they represent have a far fewer opportunities to shape the court's direction. Think about it this way. Today, a 30-year-old has 
seen only 10 new justices join the court 60 years ago. A person of the same age would have seen twice as many. Generational seats have also leave individual justices with too much power for too long, giving nine people control over the entire branch of the government for decades. This is especially concerning because justices, by design, enjoy a ratified and largely unaccountable position. As a Chief Justice, John Roberts once acknowledged while working as a White House attorney, the framers adopted life tenure as a time when people simply did not live as long as they do now. A judge insulated from the norm, normal currents of life for 25 or 30 years was a rarity then, but is becoming a commonplace today. The trend toward lengthy terms also heightens the risk that justices will stay on the court after their capacity as jurors begin to decline. Now, we will look at strategic retirements. Justices routinely time their retirements to create vacancies for ideological aligned presidents to fill. These so-called strategic retirements enable justices to look in their jurisprudence on the court for multiple generations, a practice inconsistent with the principles that is the value of the public, not the individual justice. That should shape the future direction of the law. Strategic retirements also reinforce the view that justices are simply extensions of the political parties that appointed them. A former federal judge, Michael McConnell, observed in a testimony before the Presidential Commission on the Supreme Court, the current system puts unseemly pressure on sitting justices to time their retirement to permit a presidential of their political party to name the replacement. The practice also opens a door to inappropriate horse trading between justices and the president who will fill their seats. Prior to announcing his retirement, for example, Justin Anthony Kennedy reportedly lobbied President Trump to include then Judge Barrett Kavanaugh's name on the list of potential Supreme Court nominees. Strategic retirements have become the norm since the 1960s. The last time a justice retired when the vacancy would likely result in an appointment of a justice with an opposing ideology was more than 30 years ago, when Justice Third Good Marshall stepped down due to declining health. President George H.W. Bush appointed Justice Clarence Thomas to replace him. A dysfunctional confirmation process due in a large part of lengthy terms and strategic retirements, the Supreme Court confirmation process has become highly dysfunctional. Nominees are increasingly confirmed on a near party line votes regardless of their underlying merit or commitment to values such as equal justice. Chief Justice Robert is the only sitting justice to have received the support of a majority of the senators not in the nominating president's political party. The confirmation process has likewise become awash in dark money, which creates risk of conflicts of interest and con contributes to an appearance of politicalization. The long-term standing Senate norm of granting every nominee a hearing and a vote as part of the Senate's constitutional responsibility to provide advice and consent on judicial appointments has been replaced with 
exercises in raw power. These dynamics were all full displayed during the confirmation battles over the Supreme Court seats vacated by Justice Antonio Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who both died unexpectedly during a presidential election year by refusing to give Meredith Garling a hearing or a vote in 2016, the Republican Senate majority broke a norm of more than 100 years to evaluate every Supreme Court's nominee fitness for the office. Prior to, this, prior to this incident, the last time the Senate refused to take action on a Supreme Court nominee during a legislative session was shortly after the Civil War. The Republican majority ended up holding the seat open for more than a year until after Trump was elected and assumed the presidency. For years later, when Justice Ginsburg died 45 days before election day, President Trump and the Senate Republicans rushed to fill the seat, holding a confirmation hearing for Amy Comey Barrett while early voting was already underway. While the Constitution brawls over the vacancies of justices, Ginsburg and Scalia were particularly hostile. Even less bitter confirmation fights have been categorized by the vitriol and the threats of the escalation. If, a, if existing dynamics continue, appointing justices during a period of divided government may simply become impossible. So let's look at a lack of democratic legitimacy. Checks and balances are deeply rooted in our constitutional system. With respect to the judiciary, the Constitution achieves this in large part of giving elected officials, the president, with the advice and consent of, this, of the Senate, the power to appoint justices so that over time, the court's membership reflects prevailing public values. For example, proponents of the 17th Amendment, which provides the direction or the direct election of senators advocated for its passage in part so that the public could more directly hold judicial branch accountable during a period when it was perceived to be captured by corporate interests. But this connection between the court and the public has grown fragile, undercutting the court's democratic legitimacy. For instance, it is, it is increasingly common for a president to have no opportunity to fill a single Supreme Court seat during a four-year term. Up until President Jimmy Carter, this was a rare occurrence. From President George Washington through President Gerald Ford, only five out of 47 presidential terms were without any Supreme Court appointments. But in 12 presidential terms since then, there have, been, there have already been four with no appointments. There are also wide disparities in the number of seats individual presidents have had the opportunity to fill, contributing to a stark imbalance of the court. Beginning with President George H.W. Bush, who appointed the longest serving justice curling on the bench, Justice Thomas. Republicans have won four out of the nine presidential terms and won the popular vote only twice. But this Republican have appointed six of the current nine justices. The supermajority has already had a trans transformative effect, handing down rulings on issues including civil rights, gun rights, and abortion that disproportionately harm vulnerable communities and or confuse from the values of the American public. 
Not surprisingly, the public confidence in the court has plummeted. This has also become a global outlier among democracy. The United States stands virtually alone when it comes to the tenure of its justice. Today, no other major democracy gives lifetime seats to judges who sit on constitutional courts. This includes both common, common law countries such as Ireland, New Zealand, South Africa, civil law countries such as France, Germany, and Spain, as well as the former U.S. territories whose constitution was heavily influenced by the U.S. Constitution, such as the Philippines. Even democracies that, prev that previously granted constitutional high court judges unbound life tenure, including Australia, Canada, and the United Kingdom, have since abandoned this practice. Nearly all countries with specialized constitutional courts impose fixed terms on judges who sit on them, most of which are non-renewable. Virtually every state court system has likewise rejected life tenure. 47 states require that their Supreme Court justice serve for fixed terms, subject to re-election or reappointment process. Most states have mandatory retirement ages. Only three provide justice with indefinite terms, but two of them, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, impose age limits. Only Rhode Island grants its high court justice life tenure without an age limit. Federal bureaucracy and magistrate judges likewise serve fixed terms. Term limits also <clears throat> were widely used in the United States for other important offices. George Washington famously set at a two-term norm for the presidency by leaving office after eight years. When Franklin D. Roosevelt broke the tradition with a four-term presidency, the country responded by passing the 22nd Amendment to limit presidents to two terms. 37 states impose term limits on governors, 15 states impose term limits on legislators, and nine out of 10 largest cities in the nation impose term limits on mayors. Not surprisingly, large bipartisan majorities of Americans likewise support term limits on Supreme Court justices. Now, let's look at reform the statute, a design and structure. Congress can address many of the Supreme Court's structural shortcomings and helps restore public confidence in the court by passing a statute that establishes an 18-year active term for justice and to regularize process for creating and filling vacancies. Specific proposals vary, but, it, but at its core, the reform has two components that work in tandem, restructuring the life tenure for justice into two phases, active service and senior service, and regularizing appointments so that there's two vacancies per four presidential term. Restructuring life tenure. The active senior justice model, Article 3 of the Constitution, create, creates a system of life tenure for justice by providing that they shall hold their office during good behavior. Under the active and senior justice model, Supreme Court justices retain life tenure but their tenure is divided into two distinct periods, a phase of active service lasting 18 years and a senior phase lasting for the remainder of the justice life tenure or term. This framework would, would apply to both to associate justice and the chief justice. After 18 years, a new chief justice would be appointed and the prior chief would assume senior status. 
Under this system, senior justice would no longer regularly decide cases on the court's docket. Instead, they would be tasked with performing other important judicial duties, including sitting by designation to hear cases in the lower federal courts, assisting the chief justice with management and administration of the federal judiciary, and is stepping into to hear cases on the Supreme Court's docket upon a recusal by an active justice or in the event of an unexpected vacancy. Some versions of this proposal further provide their senior justice will continue to hear cases falling under the Supreme Court's original jurisdiction. This model builds an off an existing system that has applied to lower court judges for more than a century and the Supreme Court justices for nearly 90 years. Under the federal law, judges including Supreme Court justice who reaches age 65 within 15 years of service or who otherwise qualify on the basis of their age and years of service become eligible to either retire from their judicial office or retire from an active service. They can also continue to serve as an active judge. Judges who retire from their office and Office, excuse me, office are freed from the performance of judicial duties, can pursue other employment, and receive an annuity for life equal to their salary at the time of their retirement. By contrast, judges who retire from active service on the lower courts, they are called senior judges, retain their office, continue to perform judicial duties, and receive their salary with ongoing increases in cost of living adjustments. To maintain senior status, judges must either carry or reduce annual caseload in an amount of equivalent to a three months or work by an active judge or perform other substantial judicial duties not involving courtroom participation. With respect to the Supreme Court, federal law authorized the Chief Justice to designate justices who have retired from active service to sit on lower federal courts. Justice regularly do so. For example, since, reti- since retiring from active service in 2009, Justice David Souter has, has sat by designation in the First Circuit and heard more than 500 cases. And Justice Sandra Day O'Connor has regularly heard cases on federal appeals courts for more than a decade after her retirement in 2006. Justice who have retired from active service also regularly maintain chambers and employ law clerks. The active senior justice model largely tracks this existing framework but provides a fixed schedule for the assumption of senior status rather than leaving the timing to the justice discretion. It also provides senior justice with a more extensive set of responsibilities than those of the current system. As discussed later, Congress has the constitutional power to make these changes. But the statute by the statute because, as in the current system, justice would continue to hold their judicial office during good behavior. Regularized appointments, two per presidential term, the other main component of this reform is regularized appointments with a Supreme Court seat opening in the first and third years of a pres- president's term. With 18-year term and nine active justice, Supreme Court appointments can be fully regularized so that each president feels two and only two seats every four years. This reform creates predictability in the event of a death or a premature departure by a justice from the bench. Such occurrence should be relative rare given that justice would be in active service for only 18 terms or, or years. It has been more than half a century since a justice served for less than 18 years. Still, the implemented statute can provide 
that the most recently elevated senior justice would step in under such circumstances until there is a schedule vacancy. If no senior justice is available, there will be no changes until the next schedule appointment. The concern is how to harmonize and regularize appoint appointment process with polarized politics and reoccurring periods of divided government. In light of the Senate Republican obstruction of Merrick Garland's nomination and subsequent threats of further escalation over Supreme Court appointments, the possibility of the Senate impasses looms large. There are good reason to believe a regularized appointment system would help disincentivize partisan gamesmanship. First term limits reform would reduce the benefits of obstruction because Supreme Court seats would no longer offer this promise of a multi-generational imprint on the court. Second obstruction during periods of divided government will become increasingly political costly as the public would come to expect that each president should be able to fill two Supreme Court seats per term. Obstruction would exact a particular heavy toll on the statute is structured so that the seats become vacant on the first day of each new Congress. In that case, the opposition would need to block a nominee for at least two years and then four in, in order to deny the president a seat, while sitting senators have expressed an openness to blocking Supreme Court nominees from the opposing party for the duration of a presidential election year. Far fewer have expressed willingness to do so for the entire congressional or presidential term. In any event that a senator did chart a course for four years of obstruction on a purely partisan basis, voters would have an opportunity to voice their opposition during the midterms. Establishing two vacancies per presidential term would also create greater potential for compromise than, in, than is generally available under the current system, reducing incentives for obstruction. Knowing ahead of the time and the number of timing of vacancies that will occur over a president term creates opportunities for bargaining over nominees or settling on consensus choices during periods of divided government. For example, should a president terms begin with divided government, an impasse over confirmation could be resolved by appointing one justice supported by the president party on the condition that The president nominee that the president nominate a compromised justice to fill the next available vacancy. Unexpected vacancies late in a president's term would no longer be destabilizing because they would not only create a new seat to fill. Finally, to further introduce senators to act on the president's nomination, Congress could accompany this reform with a fast-track statutory mechanism to help ensure that nominees receive an up or down vote on a Senate floor. Fast-track legislation is a common vehicle that Congress uses to prevent certain measures from beginning indefinitely obstructed. It does so by requiring automatic discharge from a committee or allowing a privileged motion to discharge from a committee in a measure is not reported out after a fixed period, granting the measure privileged access on the floor or the House or the Senate, sitting limits time for debate, and prohibiting legislators from opposing floor amendments. Congress has a long history of passing such procedures to speed up reoccurring must-pass legislation such as trade agreement, budgets, and military-based closures. Supreme Court confirmations, particularly under a regularized appointment system, fit this mold. 
Such a statute could provide that upon the nomination of a candidate by the president to fill a vacancy on the, on the court, the nomination must be received by the Senate and referred to the Senate Judiciary Committee with a stipulated period. The Senate Judiciary Committee would have a fixed number of days to act on the nomination. Failure to act will lead to an automatic discharge from the committee with the nomination placed on a Senate calendar or floor vote required within a set period. These elements would ensure that every nom nominee at least receives a full vote by the Senate, a marked improvement over this status quo. To avoid potential constitutional objections, fast-track procedures typically include a provision that they can be changed at any time, in the same manner and the same extent as the Chamber internal rules. Thus, the Senate could override this fast-track system by changing its rules. Nevertheless, fast-track legislation has often established procedures norms that are hard in practice to override, serving as a bulwark against inaction. Additional design features. Term limits reform also represent an opportunity to improve current practices on the court related to recusals and conflicts of interest. The implementing statute, for example, should provide that a in any event, a justice steps aside from hearing a case due to conflict of interest, the most recent elevated senior justice would step in. This would address current incentives for justices to recuse themselves from cases because of concerns that their recusal will leave the court with fewer than nine members. Being able to tap into a pool of senior justice to hear a case to hear cases would also help to ensure that recusals do not cause the court to drop below a quantum, leaving it unable to hear a case. The implementing statute could also be structured to alleviate concerns about conflict of interest stemming from justices' post-retirement activities. Under a term limit system, some justices may decline senior status and look to pursue activities related to law or political after leaving active service. The Constitution grants Congress broad authority to regulate the ethical conduct of justice in order to mitigate concerns posed by such activities, including the imposing bar on political fundraising or on pursuing outside employment during a justice's tenure and for set, up, for set periods under leaving public service. Congress, hold, Congress could set these rules directly by the statute or require the court to adopt a code of conduct, something that court has declined thus far to do voluntary despite broad support of bringing ethics rules among the, both the public and other judges. The code of conduct that applies to lower courts, federal judges, imposes a variety of ethical constraints, including limits on judges, charitable financial, and fiduciary activities. Most of these constraints apply explicitly to senior judges. Applying similar rules to the Supreme Court will substantially alleviate the risk of conflict of interest. Now, the benefits of reform. On the other hand, either 18-year term limits or regularized appointments would help address much of the structural dysfunction that is damaging the Supreme Court's public legitimacy. And the implementing statute could or, or should have a strong severability provision so that each reform can stand on its own. But the two or mutual reinforcing working together, they could be transformative. Term limits combined with regularized appointments would enhance the democratic link between the court and the public. Under this system, every presidential term will carry equal opportunity to shape the court's direction. 
No individual president would have the chance to install a majority on the court, nor would a political party be able to lock in a particular ideology for generations over a short period. In addition, adopting these reforms would remove current incentives to appoint increasingly younger justice so as to secure power for the long period. It would also eliminate opportunities for justices to strategically retire, re returning power over to the trajectory of the court to the public via the representatives as their constitution envisions. These reforms would put the United States in a company of every other major democratic or every other major democracy in the world. They would also bring the court closer to its historical norms with respect to both the length of a justice tenure and the number of appointments per presidential term. Since the founding, the mean, the medium, and the mode number of Supreme Court vacancies has been approximately two per presidential term. More frequent turnover on the court would also be likely to improve judicial decisions making. Social science research shows that organizations greatly benefit from fresh voices Changes in interpersonal dynamics and the entrenched leadership in organizations, especially small ones in which a few individuals wield power, great power, often leads to poor decisions. This concern is especially pronounced for the Supreme Court Justice, who hold one of the most elite and powerful positions in the world and whose decisions regularly affect the daily lives of ordinary Americans, often in profound ways. While working as a White House attorney, Chief Justice Roberts expressed similar concerns, writing that a sitting, setting a term of, say, 15 years would ensure that federal judges would not lose all touch with reality through decades of ivory tower existence. It would also provide a more regular and greater degree of turnover among the judges. Both developments would, in my view, he stated, be healthy ones. Regular turnover would also create more opportunities to bring diverse life experiences to the court. By many measures, the Supreme Court is deeply unrepresentative of both American public and legal profession. For example, there has never been an Asian American or a Native justice, nor an openly LGBTQ plus justice. Among the sitting justices, all but one attended Harvard or Yale Law School. Only one is from the Western United States. Justice Jackson is the only justice in history to have worked in a public, worked as a public defender. With more frequent appointments, presidents can bring greater diversity to the court so that it better embodies the values of the American public. Courts that reflect diversity of the communities they serve, inspire public confidence, enhance deliberations among judges, produce a richer jurisprudence, and create a role model for unrepresented groups. One critical question is whether imposing an 18-year term of active service would undermine the court's judicial independence. Alexander Hamilton famously defended the life tenure as necessary to protect the court from political branches of government. But as born out of by the experience of every other major democracy of the world, there is no evidence that long, non-renewable terms poses a threat to judicial independence. The power to decide cases until death or retirement is not 
the only or even the primary basis for court's independence. The court's independence relies on a range of factors, including public perception of its legitimacy, other branches' respect for its role and decisions, and its own stewardship of its constitutional assigned powers. Inasmuch as the details of a justice term of serving impact a court's overall independence, what is most critical is that justice's tenure of the court and lifetime of financial compensation do not depend on winning the ongoing approval of the political branches of the government. Under the active and senior justice model, justice would retain their job security and salaries regardless of how they might rule in a case or cases. There would be no longer no greater opportunity for pressure on political retaliation than under the existing system. In fact, there is good reason to believe that the current system actually threatens judicial independence, strategic retirements, and raw power politics during the confirmation process and via tax on the court's legitimacy and contributes to public perception that the court is a partisan institution. The judicial branch has neither an army nor the power of the purse. It relies on public legitimacy to underwrite its power and independence. Dysfunction in the existing system can therefore threaten to court functional independence. Some critics also contend that regularizing appointments would add to politicization of the court by making Supreme Court picks as a more prominent issue on the presidential campaign trail. Of course, candidates already do campaign about Supreme Court nominations as candidate Trump released a list of potential Supreme Court picks and both he and Hillary Clinton promised to appoint justices with specific positions on Roe vs. Wade, Biden promised to appoint a black woman to the court. Indeed, regularized appointments are likely to reduce the electoral salience of potential nomination because such a system ensures that no single president can lock, lock in power for multiple generations. Even a two-third president whose parties control the Senate for all eight years, a situation that is unprecedented in the modern era, could appoint at most four, four ideological aligned justices, which is not enough on its own to come to a common majority of the court. For similar reasons, a concern that term limits would destabilize the law due to justice more regularly cycling on the off the court is also unpersuasive. Under the current system, there is no limit on the number of vacancies a president may fill. And there is and there are strong incentives to use brief periods to unify party control or to reconfigure the court. By contrast, regularized appointments limit the imprint that any president will have on the court and encourage compromise during periods divided government. So now we'll look into a long-term campaign for a constitutional amendment. A question frequently raised about term limits and regularized appointments is whether it would be preferably to adopt such a reform by the constitutional amendment. This presents a false choice. The best course of action is to pursue both an immediate statutory fix and a long-term campaign for constitutional amendment. A constitutional amendment has several advantages. Most significantly, it would ensure that long-term stability of reform statutes can be undone by a future Congress. Creating opportunities for partisan gamesmanship, the Supreme Court, either now or in a future form, could book 
precedent and undo all part of the reform. By contrast, an amendment would institutionalize Supreme Court reform so that it would not be subjected to, con to congressional or judi judicial with whim. An amendment would also present opportunities to implement a broader range of reforms of the confirmation process. There is a wide set of opinions worthy of consideration. For example, to address the risk of obstruction in the advice and consent process, an amendment could provide that a nominee is deemed confirmed if the Senate does not vote within a specific period. It could also change the number of Senate votes required for confirmation or specify that if one nominee is rejected, the number of Senate votes required to confirm a subsequent nominee is reduced, or it could create a, a backup institution to consider nominees in the event of an impasse. An amendment could also address the nomination process. For example, establishing a commission to vet potential candidates and generate a short list for the president, similar to the system that have worked well in several states and other countries. A statutory solution, however, is not only consistent with a constitutional amendment campaign, but com complementary to it. Passing reform by statute represents an opportunity to build public support for a substantial institutional redesign that could later be cod codified in the Constitution. Equally important is the urgency of the current moment. The court is facing a crisis of public confidence and the democratic legitimacy. It would be a mistake to delay opportunity to reset and rebuild the Supreme Court. As we go into our final look, unbound Supreme Court tenure is an outdated relic. It gives individual justices the power to shape the direction of the law for generations and has wrapped the incentives of political actors and justices alike. The result of a court with an increasingly link to the American public. Implementing an 18 year active term and regularizing appointments offers a path forward. Every president would have the same opportunity to shape the trajectory of the court during a four-year term in office. Justices would no longer be able to tap their own successors through strategic retirements. The constitutional crisis that are generated by unexpected vacancies late in the president term would be a thing of the past. A predictable appointment schedule would lower the temperature of judicial confirmation battles. To be clear, there are a number of important areas warranting Supreme Court reform. Congress should, for example, directly address the justices' recent ethical lapse. But terms limits reform addresses long-standing dysfunctions of the court while squarely responding to its current deficit in a de democratic legitimacy and in and is one of the rare policies that consistently garner broad partisan bipartisan support. A major a majority of Americans believe that U.S. democracy is in a crisis, at risk of failing. The Supreme Court should be stabilized. Should be a stabilizing force in a democratic bulwark. Instead, it is facing its own crisis of public trust. It is time to reform the Supreme Court. In closing, for all of these reasons, there is a growing cause for reform. Proposals range from creating an ethics code expanding the court to stripping its jurisdiction. One of the most popular options would also be among the most transform transformative, establishing an 18-year term and regularizing appointments for justices. Under this system, justices would sit in, 
staggering terms of active service of the court, such that a new vacancy would open every two years. Each president would have two and only two appointments during a four-year term. Thank you for listening. And I hope that, you know, this year everybody get out and go vote and then pay attention to how can we do better reform our judicial branch. Thank you for listening. This podcast is brought to you by the People First Consulting Voice of Democracy. For more information about People First Consulting Voice of Democracy, please visit our website at www.pfcworks.com. American Promise, Global Mission. Thanks for spending time with us and tuning in and listening today. Until next time, please be safe, stay informed, and live well. Happy Holidays. Happy New Year. Stay safe. Thank you for listening.